Welcome to Conversations That Matter, a long-form interview show featuring thought leaders who shape our world. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, and listeners like you. In February 2023, Federal Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray announced 15 open net Atlantic salmon farms around BC's Discovery Islands licenses would not be renewed. A planned cancellation that has now been delayed. A delay in large part due to concerns raised by Indigenous leaders who point to problems associated with moving fish farms onshore. Now, Norway has generated a depth of knowledge and experience in the field of land-based salmon farming in state-of-the-art recirculating aquaculture systems, and it is leading the way, including identifying challenges. According to Norwegian SciTech News, land-based fish farming is not free of challenges. The sector suffers from mass mortalities and fish meat tainted with an earthy flavor because the biological conditions in land-based facilities are difficult to control and very young fish are sensitive to poor water quality. And in the worst cases, many thousands of smolt can die relatively suddenly, which can lead to major losses. Now enter BC-based Octiform, which has developed a construction technology system that is addressing the issues associated with land-based farms globally. And it's poised to offer that same technology back here in the province in which it operates uh, in this sector. Well, Tony Pantages, the president of Octiform, says the company is recognized as a world production or producer in RAS-based systems and they're excited about being able to bring that technology home to British Columbia. I invited Tony Pantages to join me for a conversation that matters about protecting wild salmon through the use of new tank construction technology. Tony, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. It sounds so simple. You go, yeah, okay, let's just build a tank, we'll put uh, fish there and, uh, and, and be able to make that happen. But the system itself is fraught with a bunch of challenges. What are those challenges and then how do you go about addressing them to make sure that we can actually achieve what, well, we can conceive? I think the way we have to look at it is uh, just like people, fish need an environment to live in that's copacetic with their nature. And uh, early fish farms were such things as mud ponds, uh, building some raw cement tanks, throwing some fish in there and hoping for the best, and generally you'd end up with the worst. Uh, some of those factors that you talked about in the introduction, uh, off-flavoring, uh, biofilm accumulation, uh, disease, those have been the things that have hindered the, the industry so far to this point. And what we're seeing now is uh, enough science being thrown at it that we've figured out that we need to treat the fish like we treat people in an environment. We have to give them uh, an environment that they can thrive in rather than just survive in. Um, uh, what we've seen in the past is people trying too hard too fast and just building these facilities out and then watching mass mortality events occur. Uh, we've learned a lot since then. Um, it's one of the reasons why we've become a player in the game and now globally regarded as the leader in, in tank production. Um, and that's by providing that environment that works. Uh, to do that, you have to give them uh, a tank that's large enough for them to be in, enough oxygen, uh, the right kinds of foods to eat, and most importantly, the environmental structure has to allow them to move. Generally, like think of, 
think of fish and schooling activities all moving in one way. If you make a loud noise, if you bang something against the side of the tank, you're going to cause a scatter event. And many of those fish are going to end up rubbing against the surface of the tank. Scales come off, disease can get in, you start to have mortality events. Uh, wow. the, the actual skin of that tank or the liner of that tank also has to be smooth enough that biofilm does not want to accumulate on it. You've, you've seen that in the side of boats, uh, on the side of docks, that stringy algae growing off on that. Once you have that occurring, the flavor of that fish is going to change substantially and you're going to get off flavoring. So mass mortality due to disease, um, health of the fish and stress and off flavoring causes need to be kind of really taken into account to do that. Um, we just happen to have a, a technology that kind of answers all of those things and we never meant to do that in the beginning. Um, this is an unintended consequence? Completely unintended. Originally, and excuse my French, 25 years ago, um, our company was full of crap. And uh, by that I mean uh, Dave Richardson, the, the, the founder of our company, was tasked with developing uh, an advanced manure tank to hold manure. For, for biocapture or just to hold the manure? Strictly to hold the manure, to stop it from spilling out into the land for big farms. You can't just leave that manure around or you're going to poison your water table. Uh, so the first thing Octiform ever built was a 5 million gallon manure tank. That tank, 25 years later, is still standing in the prairies, uh, acting as new and looking as new, where most manure tanks will be eaten alive by the hydrogen sulfate that the, the chemical process uh, creates. So that original technology was intended just to capture manure. What we didn't know was it was going to be the perfect environment for fish to live in, almost an opposing theory. Because it creates a perfect barrier. Perfect barrier, uh, also a smooth barrier or a smooth skin so that when fish touch it, they don't get shredded. Uh, biofilm doesn't want to accumulate on it so you don't have those other compounds in the water that go and pathogens don't like it. So it, when aquaculture came to us a few years later and someone asked, hey, could you build an aquaculture tank with this? Um, Octiform suddenly went to town. We have a pretty talented team of engineers and estimators who can take any kind of project and, and adapt it. And we were off to the races. Got to get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of Conversations That Matter is made possible thanks to the support of Audlem Brown, BD Development, and listeners like you. So what is it about this material that allows it to be uh, resistant to accumulation by, uh, by like microbial bacteria, which right. I understand gather on the, uh, the skin of the International Space Station, yeah. having shot up from space. Yeah. How is it that you're able to create something that goes, nope, you're, you can't adhere yourself to this? Yeah, well, simple, we're smarter than NASA. That's why. <laughs> no, we, uh, we, we use a PVC compound, so, so it's a plastic, but the, the actual compound that we've developed and derived that's proprietary uh, has about the smoothest coefficient for, for the, the surface area of anything that's available, uh, maybe outside of glass. And, and that gives us the ability to offer a product that 
things don't like to attach to. You know? So is this a particular PVC uh, construction or uh, chemical formulation that you've developed and produced for yourselves? Um, PVC in itself is a base product, yeah. and then the additives that you you add to it can give you the, the, the characteristics that you need. So we've spent 25 years really developing uh, different products for different applications, and, and uh, what we've developed for aquaculture is perfect. Because I like to boost BC businesses. <laughs> um, you doing all of this here in British Columbia? Yeah, our development uh, happens out of the brain trust of about 20, 25 people in total with our crew. Um, we have a, a, you know, Dave Richardson, the founder, is what I'd say the closest thing to, uh, to an, uh, a scientist uh, outside of someone who has that accreditation. He, he really knows uh, how to attack a problem and find a solution for it. So this has been developed over years and years and years. Uh, and the system itself isn't just the PVC. It would be the way that right. the panels interlock with each other. Uh, we went from building just panels that slotted together to what we call our snap lock tight uh, component, which has a, an extruded rubberized gasket that holds onto each other. And that allows it to be watertight, gas tight to 68 PSI. It'll take 140 feet of head pressure of water and still hold. So. It's perfect. So that's part of the technology. What else is, goes into the construction of the walls? Because when I looked at the animated video that you have online, you've got then reinforcement of those walls so they're not going to collapse under pressure. Right. So the, the panels themselves, uh, think of it simply as building uh, almost uh, Hot Wheel tracks for the guys out there. Uh, they're long strips that interconnect. You, you build them around a scaffolding. And then uh, you then have horizontal connectors that stick out like ribs mm -hmm. from there with holes within them. You'd feed your rebar through that, just like in a common uh, concrete application, then slip the exterior wall on and fill it with concrete from there. Mm -hmm. That allows you to form, fill, and finish in one step rather than traditional formwork where you put forms up, fill it, take them off, have to polish everything, then coat it with the surface. Our formwork is the actual uh, liner itself. And so the liner is on both sides of that concrete then so that it's impenetrable from, from either, either side? side. Yeah. Oh, because you don't want to uh, risk any kind of leaking uh, materials that could come through that pore. Of course. Yeah. On, on top of that, too, it completely reduces the acoustic transmission as well. And uh, fish are very sensitive to noise. You, you hit the side of a tank with a hammer and watch what happens inside. Some fish will probably die, too. So uh, this allows you to have thermal bridge uh, that's reduced. We can insulate the, the exterior of the interior side of the tank. So the exterior wall can have insulation inside it. Uh, that helps really maintain a temperature balance as well and takes that acoustic transmission down to almost nothing. Where are you applying this technology right now? Uh, oh, okay. In which countries? And, and what's the scale of the, the tanks that you're building up? Yeah, how long is the show? Because um, I'm going to list <laughs> off about 100 countries. Um, really? We're, we're wow. literally footprinted around the world right now. Uh, we're building the two largest aquaculture projects going right now up in Iceland. Uh, we have tanks in all over Europe. Uh, down in the States, here in Canada, um, the UAE. Uh, we have tanks going in in Australia, Africa projects coming up. Um, 
Even okay. Norway. Even Norway. <laughs> Apparently where they're starting out fish farms now there too. <laughs> Norway is really the, the kind of the, what I'd say the center of everything. Mm -hmm. um, they've done the most research, they've had the most application and, and uh, that's where this, this whole culture started actually. So tank technology construction is one component of it. There's also uh, maintaining the purity of the water. Yes. Uh, the RAS, as we talked about, mm -hmm. what role do you play in ensuring that there is that proper aqua circulation system? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're the tank technology aspect of a project. Uh, we're going to work in partnership with the engineering firm that's, that the owner's chosen to design. Um, they're going to throw at us a million different problems and we're going to solve them for them and, and make sure that those tanks are performing uh, well. So in terms of the water quality levels, um, it's the liner of the tank that matters. It's not really the tank that matters, it's the liner. That's the, we, we sell a permanent liner. Uh, and, and by working with the other systems, the filtration systems, uh, with the feeding systems, um, and with the heating and, and water transmission systems, we all kind of work in concert with each other to figure those problems out. Um, our system just happens to have that, that clean aspect to it. Things don't like to grow on it to start with. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. The production of Conversations That Matter is made possible thanks to the support of Audlem Brown, BD Development, and listeners like you. So, so that's one component of fish farming. You grow the fish, mm -hmm. but there is waste mm -hmm. uh, that becomes a biological waste. Uh, both uh, while the fish are alive and while, when they're being processed. Yeah. I, I, when I look on your website, you're playing a role in helping uh, deal with that biological waste as well. And is that going back to the origins of the company in a way? Yeah, you know, Stu, I, I don't like the word waste. I believe ah. that waste is just value with a bad reputation and, and that all those things that we see as a problem uh, Inside a tank, you have two kinds of waste. You have the waste that the fish produces, mm -hmm. and then you also have the unused food or food that gets into the system and has to go. So uh, RAS or re recirculating aquaculture systems are based on the idea that you're trying to uh, create a living environment for the fish, but also a system that's pulling that, that low value product out. And what are you gonna do with it from there? I'll give you a, a prime example of where the world's going and why this is the technology that works. Um, up in Iceland where we're building that big project, it's on a lava field that was only really born a few hundred years ago. Um, it's barren. It's like the moon covered in moss, and that's about it. There aren't a lot of trees around there. You don't see those. But as this fish farm produces fish and harvest and waste, um, those low-value products can then be used to terraform the, the surrounding area. So what you're going to see outside of this fish farm over the next few decades are forests being born. Um, there's one application of what we used to call waste as a value item now. Uh, other fish farms are also looking into using biodigesters. Happens to be another product that we produce perfectly, the tanks for biodigesters. So you're taking your, your waste from the fish, the harvest from the fish and the, and the offal, and you're throwing those into a tank and letting anaerobic bacteria turn that into renewable natural gas that can then power the system itself. So you become a carbon negative food producing uh, system. So this is all possible? It's not possible, it's being done. 
It's being done. Yeah. You talked about the scale of the uh, project in Iceland. How, just how big is that? Yeah. Um, so a, a, a large RAS system, a large land-based fish farm right now, is considered to be between about 1,000 and 3,000 tons of fish product per year. That's how they're, they're, they're basically weighed by how much fish you produce per year. So let's call a very large one 3,000 tons per year. This facility is 35,000 tons per year. And the next one behind it is 25 to 35,000 tons. And when I said 35,000 tons, that's how it started out. They've just been permitted to increase to 50,000 tons. So literally multitudes larger than anything on earth at this point. And we'll start to see more of those systems come online. Most of the industry is a little bit hesitant to move that fast because of the conditions of, of where you're building them. The water supply is very important. There's still a lot of uh, public dissent in terms of uh, that NIMBY feeling. I don't want someone using water in my backyard. I don't want this big facility growing fish, or I think that fish farming's bad because of what the old kind of fish farming was compared to now. Uh, tremendous amount of water gets used. There's no doubt about that. If you, uh, if you want to think about that project in Iceland, we're talking about 100 tanks that are about 100 feet high by 30 feet, 100 feet in diameter by 30 feet high. Pardon my imperial, I'm, yeah. I'm old. Um, and uh, a lot of cities where you'd like to, or urban areas where you'd like to facilitate these are gonna say no to that because of the water usage. Well, an old fish farm was going to use a lot of water and discharge a lot of water. The new recirculating aquaculture systems that are coming out now are literally only losing the water that dissipates from the surface water or down to one or 2% water loss and, and recycling everything else that comes inside. So it's not so much about water usage anymore. We've, we've gotten that science down. It's about public perception and it's about well-designed facilities that, that meet their targets. Do you think that as we move to this land-based uh, system, that it will then uh, quiet down the, oh, I don't eat farmed fish um, uh, perspective? I, because yeah. it seemed as though that was environmentally connected rather than, well, is this a good food to consume? I'm guilty. Ten years ago when I'd sit down at a table, because I'm a fisherman, I'd sit down and when someone said, oh, we have salmon, I'm saying, is it wild or is it farmed? And they'd say, well, it's, we have farmed and we have wild. I'm like, I'll take the wild salmon, please. I don't want that farm fish because it's dirty. That that's, was my own perception ten years ago. Let's cut to the present now. If I sit down in a restaurant and I ask that same question and said, "Can I? Have, do you have wild or farm salmon? They say we have both. I'll, say, I'll take that farm salmon. I'll leave the wild one for an orca to have instead of me. And number two, I'm going to know that the farm salmon of today, and, and I thought 10 years ago that fish was going to be pumped up, filled with chemicals and taste bad. And maybe it did a long time ago. I'm not sure because I wasn't yeah. but in the industry. But what I know now is a fish that's going to be brought up in a proper RAS system is going to be devoid of antibiotics. It's not going to have uh, lead, mercury, microplastics in its system you're gonna get a perfect fish. And because of the nature of swimming in that, you're gonna have a, a higher omega-3 uh, compound factor in the fish because they have fattier layers. Mm -hmm. You can tell a farm fish from a wild fish by looking at the, the flesh structure. Right. And when you see the very deep white lines of, of fat through that, there's a farm fish. When right. you see the very thin ones, there's a wild fish. Um, we know that, that our wild stock of salmon are, are 
unfortunately uh, ingesting a lot of toxins that are human produced mm -hmm. throughout their life. And what we're taking out of the ocean itself isn't unfortunately the healthiest fish. Third and final break. We'll be right back. The production of Conversations That Matter is made possible thanks to the support of Audlem Brown, BD Development, and listeners like you. I was at a Department of Ocean and Fisheries testing lab mm -hmm. where they test all the farm fish and the scientist who was doing the examination, I said, so would you eat our farm fish or wild fish? And he goes, farmed right. every time. And I went, how come? And he said, well, I know exactly where this fish has been. I know what it consumed, how much it had, what its life cycle was. I even have water samples of the water that had passed through that pen. The fish that was out in the ocean, I don't know where it was or what it consumed along the way. And I'll never know because nobody's testing it. And so Ned Bell, the, the mm -hmm. great chef, uh, uh, really the author of OceanWise, says, let's protect the wild salmon by leaving them alone. Correct. Let's eat farmed salmon. And the sooner we can get uh, through solutions like you're putting forward, get them on land, the better. The better for wild salmon. Uh, and so all around, uh, you know, salmon in the, in the ocean uh, fare better. And yeah. we get a much surer uh, supply of food. Yeah, we, I, I want to make a bumper sticker that just says, make orcas fat again. Um, <laughs> do you know how many orca are left in British Columbia right now? I think it's about 61 or 62 for the southern resident so whale population. Well done. Southern yeah. resident whales around there and yeah. about 250 in the northern right. uh, but, sphere. So, but that's the uh, different pod. Correct. Uh, yeah. Correct. Uh -huh. So, so JKNL that are down here, yeah. uh, let's call that Southern British Columbia around Vancouver Island. Yeah, and uh, up into Georgia Strait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're down to about, I believe it's around 75 or 80 actually around right now. Oh, is uh, it? Okay. Up north about 250. Yeah. So that's less than 350 sound, uh, uh, orca in British Columbia. Uh, and when we harken back to a balanced ocean, we're talking thousands of orca. Yeah. And so until we have at least a thousand orca back in British Columbia, our oceans aren't balanced. And, and for those of us who grew up and live here, we have to remember that it was just a few hundred thousand years ago when this was just a bare rock. Right. And if it wasn't for salmon slamming themselves up on the side of rivers, causing trees to grow out of, out of yeah. their bodies, um, we wouldn't have a home right now. So what we've done in a few hundred years to unbalance our ocean needs to be quickly changed. Right. Very much. Um, we're going to have another two billion people on this planet by 2050. Um, the oceans right now uh, can support about 90% of our protein needs. So we're already in protein deficit in the ocean. We cannot just fish in the ocean anymore. It's impossible. Right. So we have to do this. Um, does moving every single fish farm onto the land answer everything? No, I don't think there is a silver bullet, but there is silver buckshot, and uh, most of that buckshot is going to be RAS systems, and very few are gonna be left in the ocean. I'd rather see the in-ocean fish farms held for algae and kelp, where we need that, uh, that help. We've lost 95% of our kelp beds. in Which America. is a great carbon sink all on its own. 35 times more embedded carbon through <laughs> algae than there is through land-based plants. So right. it's a no-brainer and you're, we're gonna see a lot of innovation there in the next 10 years. I mean, so it's a pretty great concept. Drop a piece of rope in the ocean, grow some kelp on it, pull it off and sell it. 
not too tough. And grow your fish uh, that you're going to use for consumption on the plate. Yeah, and on use, land. Use those kelp forests as a place for the wild stocks to have a place to hide. They need forests. That's right. Yeah. Thank you very much. It, it, it's an exciting note, and I think it's a very important uh, new chapter in the development of you know the way in which we consume what I consider to be God's gift to us as a protein source. Agreed. I yeah. think while well, the rest of the world is doom and gloom and we're all going to die and why are, there's no point moving forward, I, I, I love that challenge because the, that 2% of the population that are entrepreneurs are going to hear that and answer it and find solutions to that problem. So keep bringing all the doom and gloom. We're going to go out there and figure this out and, and make it better. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a subscriber. As well, thank you to Audlin Brown and BD Development for their support.